You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Hey, it's Amy Newmark, and this week we're featuring stories from three of our 2019 best-selling books about positive thinking, cats, and angels. Changing your life one story at a time. This is the Chicken Soup for the Soul podcast with Editor-in-Chief Amy Newmark. Hey, it's Amy Newmark with your Chicken Soup for the Soul. And today we're talking about how you can learn how to live in the moment and use mindfulness to live life one day at a time instead of worrying about whatever it is that you're prone to worrying about. This is going to be a very personal episode for me today because I'm going to share the story that I wrote for our new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think Positive, Live Happy. And this story is about how I deal with being in remission and living with the fear of my cancer coming back. My story is called Facing the Fear, and I started it with a quote from Maya Angelou that goes like this. We spend precious hours fearing the inevitable. It would be wise to use that time adoring our families, cherishing our friends, and living our lives. And that's exactly what I'm learning to do not waste hours fearing what may be, and instead use my time to enjoy my family and friends and work and travel and my life now. So here's how my story starts. It starts with a psychiatrist saying, tell me why you're here. Do you need drugs? And I said, no, even after my surgery, I only took Tylenol and Advil. I'm here because I need some pointers on how to deal with the fear the oncologist thought you might help me develop a strategy. So I was seeing this doctor at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center because I'm in remission from a cancer with a very high rate of recurrence. And when this cancer comes back, that's basically it. You're going to be on chemo for the rest of your life, whether that's 20 years or 20 months. So my five months of chemo had ended two months before I saw that psychiatrist, and I was in the waiting period, which I'm still in. The kind of cancer that I had, fallopian tube cancer, is very rare, but it's basically like ovarian cancer. It's just that the tumor grows in a different place. In fact, my ovaries were both perfect, as were all my lymph nodes. But anyway, I'm treated as an ovarian cancer patient, and the statistics are awful. One day when I was sitting in the chemo chair waiting to start the dreaded six-hour treatment, the oncologist thought that she was imparting good news and being encouraging when she said to me, 20% of stage three and four patients don't have a recurrence. Well, that wasn't good news to me. She left and I burst into tears, which caused a flurry among all of the nice nurses. Of course, every time I walked into that building, no matter how nice everybody was, I burst into tears. But the fact that there was an 80% chance that the cancer would come back was pretty daunting. Now, I'm a math person and I'm a negotiator. So I have conducted a private 
negotiation with the statistics, and it goes like this. The surgeon was surprised at how little cancer he found. The 20% cure rate for stage 3 and stage 4 included everybody, so it must be better for stage 3 people with a light case like mine. My CA125, which is a cancer marker, was extremely low when I was diagnosed, and it dropped to normal after the very first chemo. So that was my reasoning, and I explained this to the oncologist at the end of my first post-chemo appointment, and I asserted my belief that I should have a 50% chance of recurrence instead of an 80% chance. And she stopped as she was walking outside of the exam room, and she turned around, and she said to me, in a rather pacifying way, sure, let's go with that. So I'm going with it, even though she didn't sound convinced. Even so, how do I deal with a 50% chance that I'll learn sometime in year two or year three of my remission that the cancer is back? So that's where I am now. I'm hoping to be in the lucky minority who are cured. I'm hoping to never go through this exhausting, painful, debilitating, time-sucking process of chemo. I'm hoping not to die in middle age. So let's get back to the psychiatrist now. She asked me a bunch of routine questions about my life. And when I talked about my late mother and how I had understood the root causes of her moodiness and I had accepted it, she said that she rarely saw patients who had worked through that kind of issue prior to seeing a psychiatrist. Well, I explained that it was because of my work at Chicken Soup for the Soul that reading all of these stories has taught me a lot about forgiveness and what makes people act the way they do. Then she asked me about negative or toxic influences in my life, and I explained that, again, because of Chicken Soup for the Soul, I had already removed all the toxic people from my life. So that was another box for her to check. Then she moved on to gratitude. And you know how important I think gratitude is. I think it's one of the two essentials for happiness. She asked me, was there anything I was grateful for? Well, that unleashed a very long list. I told her that I was grateful that my cancer responded right away to the chemo. I was grateful that I had a cold cap to wear during chemo that allowed me to keep most of my hair. I was grateful that Sloan Kettering's world-class care is only 15 minutes from my home. And I was grateful that I have good health insurance and no financial worries. And I was so thankful that the in-depth genetic testing that they did showed absolutely no cancer genes. So I didn't have to worry. I was passing something on to my children. And then I told her how grateful I was for my incredible husband and children and how supportive they are. And that I couldn't believe my luck that my daughter, who's a doctor, chose OBGYN as her specialty and could shepherd me through this. And I also told her how grateful I was for my friends and my coworkers who have been so wonderful and for our Chicken Soup for the Soul writers and fans who have been really wonderful to me too. At the end of our hour, or maybe it was 50 minutes, the psychiatrist said that I already had the necessary tools and I didn't need to come back. I had explained my initial strategy for calm and happiness, and that was take four vacations during the first six months after my chemo, plus I have a grandchild coming at the end of that six-month period. And after that, my plan is to continue taking fabulous vacations every other month for as long as I can or forever if I turn out to be one of the lucky ones. But I still needed a strategy for dealing with the waves of panic that sometimes hit me. 
And I've decided that I'm only allowed to panic between 8 and 8.10 each morning. So if I start thinking about the scary stuff, which usually happens at night, I have to wait until 8 the next morning. I just push it out of my mind and say, think about it tomorrow morning at 8. And then, of course, at 8 in the morning, I'm never having such morose thoughts. And I'm also exercising, which is a great way to assert control over something in your life. I think of it as paying myself first. And exercising takes precedence over work or paying bills or tidying the house. I had actually started doing strength training twice a week a few months before I was diagnosed with cancer, and I kept up that strength training during treatment. I went twice a week, even during the chemo weeks. I would do one session the morning after chemo when I was still on steroids and feeling good, and then I would do another session after I'd gotten through the four bad days that would follow chemo. So I never missed a workout during my five months of chemo, and now I've added back in a three-mile walk several times a week. So I am feeling strong and healthy and energized. And now my life is a strange mixture of planning for a short future and planning for a long one. I treated myself to a new car during my treatment, but I took a three-year lease instead of buying it because the salesman said that if you die while you have a lease, your spouse can give the car back with no repercussions. And my Life insurance policy, which I had had for 10 years, coincidentally expired right when I went into remission, and I re-upped at this insane price that you have to pay if you can't go through a physical and disclose your illness. So yeah, I was betting on dying when I re-upped that life insurance policy, but it was really just an economic decision. But at the same time that I'm planning for the next 40 months, I'm also planning for the next 40 years because that scenario is equally likely. So I'm dutifully applying my SPF moisturizer so I won't get skin cancer 20 years from now. And I'm redecorating a couple of rooms in the house and I'm planting new trees on our property. So how does this fit into a book called Think Positive, Live Happy? Well, one of the things that I learned from editing this book is the value of living in the moment. At the beginning of this cancer journey, I would be enjoying a moment, whether it was hosting Christmas Eve or watching a bird in our yard or having dinner with our children, and then I would just break down because I thought about what it would be like to not be around to do that again, and I was so sad for myself and for all the people in my life. And now I'm able to be strangely happy because I'm thoroughly enjoying all of those moments right when they're occurring. And I'm letting myself look forward to all the good things that are coming in the near term, like vacations and a grandchild and tomorrow's three-mile walk and the New York Times word puzzle that my husband and I do every night before we go to sleep. It might sound defeatist or fatalistic, but we all die of something. And the older we get, the more likely that is. So I've tried to reposition this whole mess as just creating a little more specificity for me than most people have. It will be this cancer on the earlier side, or it will be something else way down the road. But in the meantime, there are 16 waking hours every day that I can fill with fun and purpose and my favorite people. So I shared the strategies I use to bring joy into my daily life, no matter what my future might hold. And I want to share another story from Jude Walsh who has her own technique for bringing happiness into her life, and it involves journaling, which is something that so many of our writers use effectively. 
Jude says that she was always the one who viewed everything positively, and she was always able to find the silver linings. People sometimes found her too optimistic, but in her 50s, her life changed. Her marriage ended. Her child experienced life-threatening medical issues. She got breast cancer, and her mother died. So for a long while, Jude was just trying to get through each day. After Jude had weathered these negative events, she changed her thinking, and she deliberately focused on noticing the good in her life. Now, how did she do it? Well, she started small. When she woke up, if the sun was shining, she appreciated that. If she found a penny on the ground, she appreciated that. And the more good things she noticed, the better she felt. She decided to call all these good things abundances. And one of her friends would start their phone conversations by saying, So tell me, what were your abundances today? Jude started to write down all the abundances in a journal. If she was having a bad day, she would read some of the good things in her journal to reboot her gratitude. She bought a sunny yellow journal and some nice markers, and she used a different color for each of the good things she wrote. At the end of the first month, she already had 40 or 50 notations, and rereading them made her very happy. She started carrying the journal with her, and that led to even more notations. And she found that she was feeling better and better about her life. She's been doing this for several years now, and she's having to write smaller to fit everything in. Jude says, My abundances have multiplied tenfold. My life is peaceful and joyful. The more I notice and appreciate my abundances, the more I receive. When I hit those bumps in the road that we all experience, I reach for my journal and read, and I can be glad again. So we started Jude's story with a great quote from Catherine Mansfield that goes like this. Could we change our attitude? We should not only see life differently, but life itself would come to be different. So that's a little preview of what you'll find in our new book, Chicken Soup for the Soul, Think Positive, Live Happy. If you want to learn more about it, head over to chickensoup.com and click on the podcast button. You'll see a link to the book there, and you can read all about what's inside it. I'm sharing a lot of stories from the book over the next couple of months. So sign up for this podcast wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can pick up a copy of the book at Walmart, Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon, wherever else you like to get your books. Thanks for joining me today at Chicken Soup for the Soul. Come back next time for the final episode with stories from our new cat book. It's going to be from our chapter about learning to love the cat. Because even the most determined dog person usually comes around. Music